You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers, Part 5. Enjoy. And we talked about um, experiencing the transforming power of Christ. And that happens when we discard man-made religious doctrine and we replace it with who Jesus really is, with the real Jesus. We're transformed when we remove wrong beliefs, wrong ideas about God from our hearts and minds and replace them with the real Jesus. And I'm so glad, get, I'm so glad that God gave us his word and we can read the, all about the real Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the clearest picture of God you're going to get in writing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see God in the flesh coming to earth and ministering to us. So it's knowing that Jesus, the real Jesus, that transforms us. And we don't have time to play religious games. You have a destiny. You've got things to do. You've got places to go. And wrong ideas about God will hinder you from fulfilling your destiny. Wrong ideas from God will hinder our intimacy with him. I love how Paul said, he said, my determined purpose is that I might know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. That's what we're all about, right? So I don't want anything in between me and him. So we started going through a number of things, and and you can listen to this. All of our uh, messages are available for free online at highwaychurch.us, okay? So you can go to our website, just click on the podcast button right there on the landing page, And you can go all the way back to our first Sunday in February 2014, okay? And it's all there for you. But we started this, I believe it was September 11th, and we started talking about some wrong concepts of God. And the first thing we talked about was self-atonement. You remember that one? That was good. We're not going to go back into that. But we realized we can't atone for our own sins. Christ did that for us, right? And then we talked about real baptism, what real baptism is, faith in Christ, right? And then we got into a biggie. Last week, a biggie. And are you ready? Your seatbelts are on because we're going to go deeper this week. This thing's so big, it's such a widespread belief, we're going to have to take our time and dismantle this thing, all right? And the idea is fate, F-A-T-E, fate, okay? It's a biggie. But stay with me. I encourage you to, 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 to come on back uh, each Sunday in these, in these next few weeks and get the whole picture here, all right? But there's this idea of fate. In other words, fate, your life is beyond your control. And there's some supernatural power controlling every outcome of life. You might say, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Stay with me. Let's stay with Jesus and let's see what happens, all right? And you guys know the song, what is it? Through the years we'll always be together if the fates... Allah, if the fates allow. What, who are the fates? We learned last week, remember? That idea, this concept of fates goes way, way back, right? We saw in Greek and Roman mythology, the fates had a name, right? They believed that the fates were three goddesses. I wrote down their names. I don't remember. Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropos, right? Through the years we'll always be together. If Clothos, Lachesis, and Atropos allow. That's how we should sing it, right? That's really superstition, isn't it? It's really like a superstition that there are these gods and we're pawns in this spiritual game and they're, they're, they're controlling our lives. Many Christians don't realize it, but they're superstitious in their beliefs and they don't realize it. What is superstition? That's true. Stevie sang about it, didn't he? Yeah. So right from the dictionary, this is what superstition is. Are you ready? A widely held but unjustified belief. A widely held but unjustified belief. We know that our beliefs don't determine what's true, right? You can get a million people to believe that my name is Frederick, and it won't change my name, because my name is Joseph. So no matter how many people believe it, it doesn't make it true. 
It's important to understand that. Sometimes we kind of think if we believe it, it's true. But it's because truth is a person. His name is Jesus, right? And whether I believe him or not doesn't change who he is. But what's important about our beliefs, although our beliefs don't determine or create truth, our beliefs do determine how much of truth we personally experience. Very important to understand that. So our beliefs are very important. They determine how much of God we experience. Have you ever gotten an email that says, send this email to everyone on your list in the next 48 hours, uh, or this will happen, or that will happen? Did you do it? It's a superstition, isn't it? Well, there are some Christian superstitions. You better pray before you go to bed. You better pray before you eat. Why? There's a fear behind that, isn't it? Yeah, I've heard all kinds of things. Do you know a prayer of fear is a bad prayer? Fear is faith in the negative. And fear can open the doors to the spirits of darkness in your life. If you're going to pray in fear, I say don't pray. Not all prayer is good prayer. A prayer of faith in who Christ is is a good prayer. Faith in the promises of God is a good prayer. Let's put up that bedtime prayer. Eden, can you... Help me out there. This is a prayer that was taught to generations of churches, I mean children, excuse me, over the years. Let's take a look at this. Talk about superstition. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. You ever heard that one? I don't know how many generations of children were taught to pray like I'm going to tell you something. There isn't an ounce of the knowledge of God in that prayer. There isn't a, a, a stitch of who Christ is in that prayer. All right? Now I lay me down and sleep. So basically, I don't know if I'm going to get up, right? That's what I'm training my kids, you know. I don't know if I'm going to make it through the night. What would happen if your children were taught the promises of God, like Psalm 91? He satisfies me with long life. He commands his angels concerning me. I dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Psalm 121, he watches over my coming and my going both now and forevermore. That's how we pray. And, you know, and, and when the kids are younger, we're tucking them in, and they say, you know, we'd say, let's pray. And we say, Father, thank you. You're a shield all around us. You're leading us forward into the fullness of your plan for our lives. You've covered us. You're accomplishing the things that concern us. Holy Spirit, you're living strong inside of us. We thank you for a good, rejuvenating night's rest. We thank you for a great day walking forward in the center of your plan tomorrow morning. We thank you your will is done in our lives just as it is in heaven. It's a different prayer, right? All right. Judy, you ready over there? So Stevie Wonder knows all about this. Let's sing it. Go ahead, Stevie. Tell us a little about superstition here. He got it right on this one. That's good. You can put the words up there, Eden. Okay. Uh-oh, broke a mirror. That's the key line right here. When you believe in things you don't understand, then you suffer. Superstition ain't the way. Okay, thanks. Let's give it up for Stevie, huh? <laughs> yeah, he got it right on that one, man. I like that line. When you believe in things that you don't understand, then you suffer. Why is that true? Because there is a spiritual warfare going on. And Satan wants you to believe in things that aren't true. So he can get access to your life. He wants access to your life. What did Jesus say he's up to? He comes to steal. What Satan is up to, right? Not Jesus. He comes to steal, John 10.10, kill and destroy. So he's looking for access to your life. How does he get it? Fear, believing things that aren't true about God, right? He can get access to our life in those ways. 
Now, Stevie said it that way, when you believe in things you don't understand and you suffer, but in, God said it this way in Hosea. Let's say Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Wow. Wow. What kind of knowledge? Knowledge of who he is. True knowledge of God, right? My people are destroyed because they believe things that aren't true about me. My people are destroyed because they're believing what man says. They're elevating the word of man above my word. And it gives the enemy access into their lives. Pretty powerful. So superstition, wrong beliefs, are oftentimes based on fear. They're based on ignorance of who God really is. Well, we don't want to be like that. We want to know him as he is, not as we want him to be or as others have told us. That was my prayer when I was 17. I remember walking at night for hours talking to God. Didn't know Jesus, didn't know the Bible. But I said, God, I want to know you as you are, not as my church says you are, but as you really are. And he honored that. And, and it was probably about a year and a half, two years later, someone gave me a Bible and I began reading the book of John. I found out who God really is, Jesus, right? But that's what God wants us to know him as he is. Now, we're going to read a scripture that's very revealing from the book of Job. But it gives us insight into what the damage that fear can do in our lives. Okay? So Job chapter 3, and before we read it, something important to understand about the Bible. How many books are in the Bible? Yeah. How many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New Testament? 66 minus 39, 27, that's good. Right, 27, yeah. Now, the Bible as a whole is a progressive revelation of God. Very important to understand that. In other words, all these books, all the books in the Bible weren't written at once and stuck in, in one book. It happened over a period of time. What's the oldest book in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, Job. Oldest book. That's the one they've traced as far back as they can. They say Job is the oldest. What, why is that important? Because the people living in Job's day had very little light on who God is. Very little. And if you will understand this as you're reading the scriptures, in the Old Testament, you'll see there is very little light on who God is. But Christ came and he said, I'm the light of the world. John 1 says he's the, the light of man, right? He's the, he's, he's the key to understanding God, all right? So understand, Job didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the New Testament to read. You understand, people prior to Jesus rising from the dead couldn't be full of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't be born again. Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. So it's important when you're reading the Bible to understand where you're reading, Okay, some things you got to keep things, well, all things you got to keep in context, but some things that you're reading are at a different time, under different circumstances, with a different covenant, all right, with a different revelation or understanding of God. But there's a great verse in Job chapter 3, verse 25, and he says this, for the thing which I greatly feared, there is superstition, is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Let me ask you a question. What came first, the fear or the thing that came upon him? The fear. How much fear? Great fear. And if you'll look at Job's life, he was so afraid that his children might sin. He offered sacrifices. He went through religious rituals over and over again for his children, just in case they sin. That's fear. You know, there's a lot of fear in religion, and it's not good. It does damage to you and others. When you're doing things, whether it's praying out of fear, coming to church out of fear, you're doing things for the wrong reason. Very important to understand that. Fear is expecting something negative to happen. And if you continue in that thing, you're putting faith in darkness. You're putting faith in the negative. And sooner or later, you, you could be opening a door for that thing to come. All right? Very important to understand that. Stay with me. We're going to get into Jesus here in just a little bit. So what, what can we do about this 
this fear that tries to access our lives, this superstition, this you never know what God's going to do kind of thinking. We can study Jesus. When you begin to study how much God loves you, fear will dissolve in your life. When you purpose to, to know him, to receive his love for you, that perfect love of Jesus will drive fear out of your life forever. Guarantee. Guarantee. So that's what we're doing. We're going we're gonna to study Jesus. In fact, 1 John 4.18, let's put that up there. There is Zippo fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. You can back me down a little bit, Judah. I think I'm feeding back up here. Because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if you're wrestling with fear in your love, you just need to know God's love for you more. All right? If you're wrestling with these fearful thoughts and you're, what if, what if, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I don't? That you just need to realize how much God loves you and what he's already done for you in Christ. It's so good. All right. Second Timothy 1.7 says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So fear is not from him. I know it right away. The moment it tries to enter my life, I shut the door. That's not my father speaking. The Holy Spirit speaks, there is a, when the Holy Spirit speaks, there is a peace with it that surpasses understanding. And you'll know it right in here. All right? So we don't listen to fear. Now, Job obviously didn't have this revelation. Job didn't have what we just read. We just read 1 John. We read 2 Timothy. We're in the best place in the history of mankind right now. Because we have the revelation of Christ available to us, right? And we're taking advantage of that. We're not going to let it sit on a shelf. We're going we're gonna to keep it alive in our hearts. In fact, the Holy Spirit of God has come. Understand, there were times in the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit would come upon someone but could never live inside of them. You know that? The only time the Holy Spirit fully came in the earth was on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. That's what, what, what we were waiting for, right? And then the Holy Spirit, when, now when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. Can you imagine? What a difference. So now the Holy Spirit is living inside of you if Jesus is your Lord. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We've got the Spirit of God now to teach us who God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. I love this. Takes fear right away. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Wow. That we might know, that we might be sure and certain of the things that have been freely given to us by God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now look at this next verse in the East. I like this. Which things also we put into words. Oh, we communicate these things to each other. Not in words taught by human philosophy. <laughs> on that, right? <laughs> but in words taught by the Spirit. Yeah. Fitly joined together, Spirit-revealed truths. With spirit-taught words, the Holy Spirit will never lead you into fear. Never. He will always reveal more of Jesus to you. That's how you can know it's the Holy Spirit. He'll always reveal more of Jesus. Now, I was with some believers a little while ago, and we are all sitting around talking, and they were talking about how they traveled to a place in the world where there is these apparitions of, uh, of what they thought was... Uh, a uh, uh, being from God. And um, I didn't say anything at the time. I was just listening. But I knew what they were talking about wasn't a being from God because it didn't glorify Christ. There are supernatural events that take place in the earth. But because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's gone. All right? There's all kinds of things that can happen supernaturally. But when it's the Holy Spirit, it will always exalt Jesus. It's good to know that. It will not bring fear. 
Right? And they, they described this, this instance. They said they were there and, and the sun turned colors and a storm came in. And they were impressed by this. Like, this must be God's I one God. I didn't say at the time. I just listened. But I knew it wasn't God, you know, because God doesn't operate that way. It's good to know your Father, right? So we're into Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-taught words. Amen. All right. Now, let's get back into the. Okay, we're going to go deeper. Are you all right? You doing okay? Does this hurt? Is it all right? Can we talk about this stuff? It's a big, it's a big concept. It's a widespread belief, this idea of faith right, that we're all pawns in the spiritual game, and God's pulling his levers like the Wizard of Oz, right, and up, oh, I'm oh, going to do this now, going to do that now, but it's not true. So Christians have their own version of this idea of faith, all right, now hold on, don't, don't get mad at me now. Christians have their own version of this idea, and it has erroneously been labeled God's sovereignty, all right, stay with me, you'll be so glad when we, we're going to take some time, but hang in there. So it's been erroneously labeled God's sovereignty. Well, what does that mean, God's sovereignty? Well, the word sovereign, if you look at the word, it literally means above all. It's a good word because God is above all. God is sovereign, right? God is above all. No doubt about it. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the one who always was, is, now, and ever shall be, Right? No question that God is truly sovereign. But what does God's sovereignty not mean? That's important to know. God's sovereignty does not mean that he's controlling everything. Doesn't mean that at all. It does not mean that God's controlling everything on earth. And it does not mean that everything that happens is his will. It does not mean that. Now, hold on. I know this can be frightening. Like, what? what are you doing? <laughs> All right, God is sovereign. Hang in there. But Jesus taught us that, that things go on in the earth that are not God's will. I mean, that's pretty obvious <laughs> if you just, you know, look around. There are a lot of, if God was in control of the earth, there would be no crime. There'd be no war. There'd be no murder. There'd be no hatred. There'd be no sickness. There'd be no disease. There'd be no poverty. There'd be no lack. There'd be no storms. There'd be perfect weather all the time if God was in control. So when someone starts talking like I'm talking, some people get mad. What are you saying about God? God is sovereign. Yes, he's sovereign. But the sovereign God is the one who created us. We didn't create him. And he decided how this thing works. Okay? We can't come up with our own theory about how life works. We go to the sovereign God, and he explains it to us. All right? So the sovereign God decided to create you and to create me in his image. Wow. What does that mean? One of the things it means is we're free. We are totally free beings. We don't live by instinct like animals. We're spirits, right? We live by the exercise of our will. I mean, my dog will come running if you've got food, you know? I won't. I'll come if I'm hungry. Or even if I'm hungry, sometimes I won't. I'll choose to come, right? My dog doesn't choose. It's food, I'm there, right? Animals live by instinct. We're not animals. We have this power that God has given us, this ability to make choices. We have this ability to choose what we believe. It's huge. It's huge. Why did God make us with this freedom? Why are we free? Because real love requires real freedom. You can't experience real love if you don't have real freedom. What kind of marriage would I have if I forced Jennifer with a 45 caliber to marry me? Well, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be a fun honeymoon, right? Let's go. Get in the plane, right? No, I, I, that's not love. That's some kind of twisted bondage, isn't it? I wanted her to choose of her own free will to spend the rest of her life with me. That's love. So real love requires real freedom. There's no other way. All right, God knew this. But there are risks with that, right? 
There are risks with freedom. There's responsibility with freedom. Sometimes we don't like to talk about that, but there is. And it's God's desire that we would exercise, exercise, that we would exercise our freedom for him. That we would choose to love him. But he has never forced anyone to do so. Never. He, want, he can't make us love him. He doesn't want to make us love him. He wants us to love him, but he wants us to love him. Not, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I, we're not robots, right? He wants us to, ah, I love you, God. You're amazing. Of our own free will, no strings attached. That's love. No strings attached, right? Like a puppet. I love you, God. You know, that's not us. So look at this now in Deuteronomy, one scripture in the Old Testament, then we're going to get into Jesus here. Deuteronomy chapter 30. So this, this power that God has given us to choose of our own free will and to choose what we believe is huge. It's huge. Before we read this verse, let's give you the context. That's very important in the Bible. Is this in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old Testament. This is actually in the fifth book of the Old Testament. It's back there, right? Well, what's happening in this book? Well, what you're going to see if you read anywhere in the Bible, but if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that God's will did not automatically happen in the lives of his people. You'll see people who were stubborn, who resisted him. His people, I saw a special on uh, PBS. And these uh, sociologists and archaeologists were, were doing digs in, in the Middle East. And they were specializing on Israel. And, and I, don't know if the, I don't think these guys were Christian. I don't know. But they said, you know, we found about these people. They worshipped a lot of gods. They found idol after idol after idol after idol in their digs. And we see that in the Scriptures. Yeah, it's true. That bears witness with the Scriptures, doesn't it? Now, I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying let's, let's look at things in context here. So these are God's people, and they reject him. And they're worshiping idols, and I don't want to go into the details, but often that meant horrible things, like sacrificing their children in the fire, gross immoral acts. And it grieved the heart of God because they weren't robots, right? They could do whatever they wanted. God continued to try and draw them. He wanted to bring them into the promised land, right? He wanted them to experience milk and honey, overflowing abundance and blessing and provision. That was his heart for them. But a whole generation of his people resisted him. And they died in the wilderness. It was not his will. That was not his will. God's will does not automatically happen in the earth. We see that over and over and over again in the Bible. So here we are in Deuteronomy that, that Moses is about to die now, 120 years old. He couldn't go in because of his disobedience. <laughs> right? So he's getting ready to die now. And this generation that, that couldn't go in because of their hardened hearts has, has passed. And it's up to Joshua to bring them in right now. So Moses is speaking. So we kind of get the context of what's happening here. And Moses speaks as a prophet on behalf of God. And he says this, Today I've given you the choice. Wow. So he didn't chain them and drag them into the promised land, right? He said, today I've given you the choice. This is God speaking through Moses, right? Between what? Life and death. Between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice God makes. No. We make. The choice you make. Oh. Here's God's heart. Oh. That you would choose life. So that you and your children might live. So what does God want us to do? Live. Choose life, right? He wants milk and honey, right, in our lives. Verse 20. You, not God, you can make this choice. How? By loving me. 
by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. Only you can make that choice. Only you. No one can do it for you. And I did that in my life when I was 19. I'm so glad I did. I wish I would have done it when I was one. <laughs> but but, but I, I said, God, I, I love you, and I'm going to love you for the rest of my life because you've loved me so much. And I'm never going back. There's nothing else, there's nothing else worth living for. Not a thing. This is the key to your life. Wow. Open the door. Right there. There's the key. Right? Loving God is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? So we, this is why, I mean, we could, if we had time, and this was, this was hard for me to minimize the Scriptures, because there are so many places in the Scriptures where we see it is a choice that we make. It's not God forcing things to happen. God will do everything He can to win our hearts. He'll do everything he can to keep us from danger, to keep us going on the right path. But ultimately, we have to choose him. We have to choose him. And it's a wonderful thing. So let's get into Jesus here. So we're talking about God's sovereignty. That God's sovereignty means he's above all, but it doesn't mean he's controlling you. Are you ready for this? I'm going to raise my right hand. Did God do that? No, I did. Why? I made a choice to raise my right hand. I'm going to lower my right hand. Is that God pulling a lever in heaven? No. I made a choice as a created being in his image to raise my hand. And I did it again. Because we're free. This is how silly religion can get and superstition. And it leaves you in this fog like you don't know what God's going to do. Jesus doesn't want you in a fog. He wants you to know how your father behaves and what he wants to do in your life, all right? So God's sovereignty is revealed to us clearly in the ministry of Jesus, all right? Let's read about Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We're not followers of Moses. I look forward to meeting him when I get to heaven and sitting down having an espresso with him and, and hearing some stories. But I'm not a follower of Moses. We're followers of Christ, right? So we're not looking to the law for answers. We're looking to Jesus, right? Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We read this last week. Let's read it again. It's so good. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. Very important. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And this is the verse, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. The message says the sun perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. That means when we're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we're reading the sovereignty of God. We're looking at the sovereign God in action, Jesus. When the sovereign God says, I am willing, be clean, that's, that's, that's God's will. Right? And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in the ministry of Jesus, we see very clearly that God has given us this ability to believe and to choose what we believe. Let's, let's look at this. That's what we're going to look at right now. Are you doing okay? Are we awake? All right. Woo, good. This is fun. Isn't this fun? Getting to know our Father. We're getting to know our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 9. Let's go there. I love looking at Jesus. He is my faith. All time. There's just, yeah. Talk about the goat, right? He is, he's it, right? Sorry, TV 12, but Jesus is it. <laughs> All right, so Matthew 9, 27. As Jesus went on from there, 
Two blind men followed him. So here's the sovereign God walking on earth. Wow, how cool is this, right? The maker of heaven and earth put on flesh and he's walking on planet earth. And here he is. And these two blind men recognize him. Wow. And they say, have mercy on us, son of David. And that's a messianic term. That shows that they recognized him for who he was. So they weren't ignorant. They, they believed in who he was regardless of what others around them said. When he had gone indoors, verse 28, now he just kept walking. What? Here's two blind men with a knee calling on him, and he just keeps walking. They could have very easily come to the conclusion he doesn't love us. It must not be his will to heal us. But they knew he was the son of David. They knew he was the Messiah, that perfect love had come into the world. So they follow. When he gone indoors, the blind man came to him and said, and he asked them, do you believe? So who's the emphasis on here? What, them, right? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Not one mention of God's will. Didn't even come, come into the, the conversation. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Without hesitation, they said, yes, Lord. I love that. They're calling him son of David. They're calling him Lord. There is no hesitation. They are pursuing him, right? Then he touched their eyes and said, according, let's look at that verse. Uh, oh, there we go. According to God's sovereign will. No. According to your faith will it be done to you. What did Job say? The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. What was his faith for? The things that came upon him. Jesus said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? What's faith? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. What is he saying to them? He said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Are you sure and certain that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. According to your sureness and certainty, it will be done to you. And what happened? Verse 30, their eyes were opened, right? Look at, do uh, you have verse 30 up there? It says, and their eyes were opened. Excellent. Now, what's the message say of verse 29? Here's a foundational principle of life right here. Become what you believe. Now, don't be condemned with this. Don't let the enemy, that's, boy, the enemy's a trickster, isn't he? You're hearing truths and all of a sudden will try and condemn you with them, okay? We're realizing how this works, and that doesn't mean we've done it right, but it's okay. We're, 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 we, God's grace is in our lives, right? So we're realizing how this thing's worked. We're not looking back saying, oh, I blew that, oh, I blew this. No, we're just realizing how this works. We're not, there's no condemnation here. So we're going to change now, right? We're, we're being empowered to change by the Word of God. So become what you believe. You know, that works positively or negatively. Isn't that something, right? If you think of yourself negatively, ultimately you're going to become that. That's what happens when you don't forgive someone. Like I grew up, there's some crazy things happening in my family. I was really bitter towards um, some people in my family that really hurt me and my family. And after I came to know Christ, God opened my eyes and said, you have to forgive so-and-so. If I wouldn't have forgave that person, I would have became like that person. Because unforgiveness will, will just cause this bitterness to grow inside of you that you can't stop until you let it go. All right? So unforgiveness is kind of like a negative faith as well. Like you're holding, you're holding something against someone, and as a result, you end up hindering yourself. You become what you believe, so forgive let it go. It's over. Move forward. Let's look at some other examples of this. I just love Jesus. He, he sets us free. So we're going to believe that Jesus is able to do it, right? We know it's his will to do it. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. Now, this is the story of the centurion. Jesus comes into Capernaum. Here's the sovereign God walking on planet earth. He comes into Capernaum, and a centurion, very important, comes to him because he was not one of God's people. He wasn't in his right. right? He didn't have all of the history getting in the way. He didn't have all of the religious doctrines getting in the way. 
He was just looking at Jesus, which enabled him to receive what he needed. He said, Lord, see, he knows who he is. My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. So he really hasn't asked anything of Jesus, has he? He's just telling Jesus what's happening in his life. Look at the eagerness of God's sovereignty. The sovereign God says to him, I will. It's my will to go and heal him. There's God's sovereignty right there. I will go and heal him. I didn't even ask. It's my will. You don't have to ask. When someone loves you, you don't have to ask. Right? The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word. And my servant will be healed. Now, there's so much in this. Boy, oh boy. So he says, Jesus says to him, I'll go and heal him. In other words, he just revealed to the centurion his will, right? And the centurion says, you don't have to do that. I believe that if you just say it, it'll happen. Wow. That's faith, isn't it? Right? So the centurion understood that it wasn't automatic, right? We can see in both of these passages, the one we just looked at and this one, it wasn't automatic. Things had to happen in order for healing to happen, right? And the centurion was believing, not that Jesus had to come to his house and have a big prayer service, that all Jesus had to do was say it, and it was done. I like that kind of faith, right? And then verse 9, he explains about his, his life experience. Verse 10, let's go there for time's sake. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. And said to those following him, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel, anyone among God's people. He shouldn't have had to say this, but it was true. I have not found anyone among those who have been walking with God for centuries with such great faith. How is that possible? These are the people that saw God do miraculous things. How is it that they had no faith or had, it didn't have such great faith? Right? Because they didn't walk with him. They didn't take him at his word. They began exalting their ceremonies and their rituals above the one who made them. And it blinds you. Religion will blind you to who God really is. Let's see. And let's go to verse 13. So he says, I haven't found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus says to this man who's not in the nation of Israel, go, it will be done according to the sovereign God's great plan. No, just as you believed it would. Wow. God has given us the ability to choose and to choose what we believe. Man, I started reading this stuff. I began examining what I really believe about God. I found out I needed to change some things that I believed. And boy, I started. And I'm still catching myself sometimes. Whoa, wait a minute. God didn't bring this into my life. I need to take authority over this thing and kick it out of my life. Right? It changes what you believe. All right, let's see. Uh, in chapter 9 of Matthew, we'll go through a couple more of these. Verse 22. Um, this is uh, the, the man, wait a minute, I'm sorry, this is the woman with the issue of blood. So this woman never had a conversation with Jesus, okay? I'm sure she was told all kinds of things about God, but somewhere along the line she heard that he heals, okay? This is a woman who had an issue of blood, I think, I forget, 12 years, something like that, a long time had spent all of her money on physicians, couldn't get any better. She had to be very weak in a lot of pain, wasn't allowed out in public because of the culture of that day. Against all odds, she left her home because she believed that if she could touch him, she'd be made well. That's what she believed. Now, we saw the blind men believe that he could do it. We saw the centurion believe that all Jesus had to do was say it. This woman believes that she has to touch him. Doesn't have to, but that's what she believes, okay? So what do you believe? Do you believe that God can just say it and it happens? Or do you believe you have to have some special minister come in from another part of the world and have a big prayer service, 
Some people believe that. It, according to your faith, be it done unto you, right? She, didn't, she believed that she had to touch him. So she leaves her home, goes to the crowd. She touches him. She kept saying to herself, I think it says in Mark, if I but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I but touch his clothes. She touches his clothes, and lo and behold, she's made whole. Jesus doesn't even know who touched him. Talk about God's will. It's so much God's will, it happens whether, whether he's uh, in a conversation with you or not. He says, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. There it is again. And the woman was made well from that hour. We'll look at another one, and we're going to have to stop for today. We're going to go deeper. So what are we doing? We're taking our time looking at the sovereign God in action. This is Jesus. Okay? Because when we talk about God's sovereignty, people say, but what about this scripture? And people have scriptures to try and justify this idea that God's controlling everything. But we're going to go through as many of those as we can, probably starting next week. And you're going to see that these scriptures are taken out of context and they're misunderstood. All right? We're going to fix that. All right? So let's look at our last one for today Matthew chapter 15. This is a woman of Canaan or the Syrophoenician woman. Again, like the centurion, she was not one of God's people. She was not in the nation of Israel. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Jesus went on from there and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord. Look what she calls him, son of David again. She recognized him as the Messiah. Wow. You know, there are people who didn't grow up in church that are coming to know Christ quicker than those who've been in church their whole lives. They recognize him quicker because they don't have all that religious baggage in front of them. Right? Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. Similar to the two blind men. He just keeps walking. And his disciples then came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. And he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It wouldn't have been hard for this woman to conclude, It's not God's will to help me. Right? Wouldn't have been hard, but she knew better. And there will be circumstances in your life sometimes when it's not hard to come to a conclusion. What happened? Where's God? That's what the enemy wants you to think. But you got to know better than that. you got to know his word is true in your life. He'll never fail you. His promises are sure. And you have the victory. So she knew it. She knew his nature. Regardless of what it might look like, she stayed steady. And then she comes, and what does she do? Yell at him? She worships him. She says, Lord, there it is again, help me. And he answers and said, it is not good to take the children's bread. What's the children's bread in this instance? She needs healing, right? Healing. Healing is the children's bread. Are you a child of God? Then healing belongs to you. All right? He said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Another opportunity to say, okay. I guess I'm stuck. But she didn't say that. She knew his nature. And she said, yes, Lord. In other words, you know the truth. You're God. I agree with you. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. I just need a little crumb. From the, even though I'm not in the nation of Israel, even though I'm not in that Abrahamic covenant, I know all I need is a little crumb of you, and my daughter's going to be made well. That's like a centurion, isn't it? Just say the word. Your word transcends culture. Your word transcends history. All I need to do is just you to speak, and it's done. And look at Jesus' response. These are the two people Jesus was astonished at. He answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you according to the sovereign God's master plan. No, as you wish. And her daughter was cured from that moment. 
Listen, Jesus clearly taught us that what we believe determines how much of God we experience. All right? So I, I, I wish we had more time. I've got some really good stuff, but we're going to get into it next Sunday. But we're going to go deeper into this stuff, and we're going to hit some scriptures. You're going to be like, wow. Because there are so many scriptures that people say, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? We're going to look at what about this. All right? As many as we can. But we, these scriptures alone answer a lot of questions. All right? So Jesus taught us that God's will does not automatically happen. We have to believe it. We have to receive it. We have to grab a hold of it by faith, no matter what the circumstances look like. All right? So keep coming. Keep coming. Next Sunday, we're going deeper. I really believe this is going to help you tremendously. Grab a hold of what God has for you. All right? Father, we thank you for this time together. Holy Spirit, I ask you to comfort hearts right now, to, to bring your peace right now into to, uh, every person here and every person listening to this message. Holy Spirit, let the peace of Christ reign in every heart. Lord, illuminate every heart hearing this message, Father, that the light of Christ would shine brightly into every region of our hearts, that we would see you as you are, that we would discard wrong ideas and wrong beliefs and we replace them with the truth about you. Lord, that we could know that it is your will, that we could know and be sure that your promises are yes and amen in our lives. God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your light shining brightly in our hearts right now. Lord, that each one of us would know the certainty of our calling, of your calling upon our lives, that each one of us would know the riches of our inheritance in Christ, that each one of us would know the surpassing greatness of the resurrection power of Christ that is inside of us right now. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, amen, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good he is.